Hello, and welcome back to the Sustainable Brown Girl podcast. This show exists to provide representation for women of color in the environmental space, to highlight their stories, and to educate the masses about how to be more eco-friendly every day. From gardening to thrifting, minimalism to veganism, sustainable business owners to influencers, environmentalists to activists, we are all on a journey to taking better care of our bodies and our planet. I'm your host, Ariel Green. When I first started my sustainable journey, it wasn't necessarily to be better for the planet. I wanted to be better for my body. A lot of us choose products with organic ingredients because we're told that they're better for our health, but that may not always be the case. In this episode, our guest is busting some health-related myths as well as sharing how the health and medical industries can be more sustainable. But before we get too deep into that, I want to remind you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's super easy to do on any Apple device. Just search for Sustainable Brown Girl Podcast and be sure to follow if you aren't already. Then scroll down to the review area and I'm sure you want to leave a five-star review, so go ahead and do it. It really helps us with getting more people to discover the show. Be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and I will feature it in an upcoming episode. If you're not already, be sure to follow Sustainable Brown Girl on Instagram and use the hashtag Sustainable Brown Girl to be featured on the page. I love seeing what everyone's up to, their sustainable swaps, their outfit inspo. So I love sharing that on Instagram. Also, if you have a few dollars to spare, please consider becoming a Sustainable Brown Girl patron on Patreon. It really helps to keep the show going on a consistent basis, and you'll get access to some exclusive content. A link to the Patreon page is in the show notes. As always, your support is greatly appreciated. Today's featured Sustainable Brown Girl is Dr. Anjali Malik, a breast imaging radiologist and women's health advocate. She mentors and inspires women to take charge of their breast and ovarian health, all while promoting sustainability and plant-based nutrition. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Malik. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yay. So I always like to start at the beginning. Like, Tell us how you became interested in sustainability. So um, this goes way back. I actually um, was the kid who, you know, in addition to doodling, you know, hearts and and circles and smiley faces, I would actually draw the reduce, reuse, recycle arrows on notes and pen pal letters um, and things like that, because not just because of the symbol, but also because I actually believed in that. And I, uh, there's like a funny story about me trying to donate like pocket money, like change to the World Wildlife um, Federation and being like, yeah, we can't accept this. It'll have to be, you know, check or money order. So, um, <laughs> so, so sort of um, wanting to save the planet, uh, you know, those types of um, whatever the like 80s and 90s slogans were yeah, uh, just hit home to me. I mean, wh- whatever, uh, you know, uh, campaign outreach they had tried, uh, definitely reached this, you know, five-year-old. And it sort of has stuck with me since then. I also, 
I spent a lot of my childhood in either India over the summers with my grandparents or in um, L.A. with uh, my aunt and uncle and cousins. And in L.A., they've been, you know, recycling and aware of like the air pollution and smog. And so I would always hear about those things, you know, see my family doing those types of things. And then in India, at least when I was growing up, my grandparents were definitely the reuse type you know, fix something if it's broken, don't just like throw it out and get a new one. Uh, You know, they went to the market every day, they took a bag, they got their vegetables. So this was sort of, these were sort of concepts that I was introduced to really early, just as like a way of living, not not even as, you know, trying to be sustainable. Um, So so I think it was just all of that came together. And then is now just the way that I try to live a sustainable lifestyle. Yes, I love that. I I am a child of the 90s too. And I definitely see how they were kind of like, you know, priming us for, for you know, this type of information. Exactly. <laughs> so yes, I love that. So then what led you to become a doctor? So I am the child of two physicians. Uh, okay. South Asian background. And so in addition to having physicians who were parents, this is, of course, a, a strong part of our culture. Yeah. Know, the doctor, lawyer, engineer concept. So uh, mm-hmm. it was always something that I was around. Um, I mean, I basically was babysat by nurses at the hospital or in my mom's office. So I was exposed to it throughout my childhood. I I still was very open-minded when I went to college. Um, and I was a public health major at Johns Hopkins which also I think plays into my sustainability pretty strongly. So I, uh, one of my favorite movies growing up was Outbreak, Dustin Hoffman, Rene Russo. Um, of course, Outbreak is no longer a funny movie these days, but um, <laughs> it was a, a movie that I loved and I was like, oh, I wanna work for the CDC and be a virologist and save lives around the world and those kinds of things. And so, yeah, that all just kind of came together. I, I, I did do a lot of public health um, outreach when I was in college, a lot of work on, uh, trying to get healthcare resolutions passed and things like that. And I realized that even though I love public health, I love, loved the idea of working in public health. I was someone who was very goal oriented. And so um, becoming a physician where I could, you know, potentially see those direct impacts of my work mm-hmm. uh, was something that I, I realized would be more meaningful to me. Yes, I see. That makes total sense. So then how would you say like sustainability relates to the health industry? I mean, I think they're they're very intertwined. Uh, you know, some might say they're completely separate, but I think if you're really mm-hmm. looking at health holistically, then sustainability definitely plays in. So from, you know, the types of um, food that we're consuming, uh, we know yeah. that plant-based diets are the most sustainable diet uh, in terms of climate change uh, and carbon production. Um, and we also know that plant-based diets are very healthy, uh, you know, and I say diet, not meaning like calorie restriction, but diet as in the, again, the types of foods that we're consuming. And so, right. So we know that red meat, lots of carbon production, uh, not great for our health. We know mm-hmm. that processed foods, um, you know, carbon production, waste, whether it's plastic or, or uh, you know, any other kind uh, chemical, um, uh, you know, chemicals that are produced in the process as well as put into the food, many of those go on to cause health problems. So, mm-hmm. so I think when you're talking about diets, they're very intertwined. But even, you know, we now know that particulate matter 
um, that's uh, a result of air pollution and climate change can have a lot of um, deleterious health effects. Uh, plastics um, can have uh, health effects both uh, directly um, through endocrine disruption as well as you know the microplastics that were now found in the blood, for example, uh, might go on to have health effects. So I think that living a sustainable lifestyle um, and and promoting and optimizing our health are very um, closely related. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, because obviously there are environmental impacts that affect our health, you know, right. like one of the first things that I switched, like when I started on my sustainable journey was my deodorant, because I found out that or, you know, that aluminum can cause breast cancer. Is that true? It is not. It's not true. <laughs> okay. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's not true. But um, <laughs> so even though that is misinformation, the, yes. yes, the good byproduct of that is a lot of people switched to uh, more sustainable options. So for yeah. me, for example, uh, without being vendor specific, I do use uh, a couple different brands that are packaged in paper. And yes. their packaging is compostable. So for me, you know, I, I love that it's um, that it's compostable. I love that it's not producing wa plastic waste like other, um, you know, more mainstream brands are. Um, I do also like that it's natural. It doesn't. Uh, I wasn't seeking out something that was aluminum free, mm -hmm. but I, I I do like that it's natural, and I think it works really well for me. Um, so you know, I know women talk about not having as good of what they think um, deodorant and antiperspirant capabilities from the natural yeah. deodorants. And I will say, and this is not scientifically proven, but anecdotally, uh, uh -huh. I feel like my vegan diet, as I went more plant-based and also coupled it with using natural deodorant, I was able to control any, uh, you know, any sweating in that region or any, you know, uh, body odor, as it were. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that was because I wasn't eat, eating meat and dairy. Mm. So anecdotal, don't quote me on mm -hmm. this, but yeah. yeah I've mean, heard that before. Yeah. So aluminum does not cause breast cancer, but, uh, you know, if you're looking for a good sustainable option, the ones that are uh, packaged in compostable packaging or the other options, such as like the crystals and things like that. Like if that works yes. for you, if that makes you happy, totally fine with that. You know, it, none of them are going to cause breast cancer. Okay. Well, good to know. Cause I like based my entire life off of that, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, while we're talking about breast cancer and like different foods and um, I guess myths, I've also heard, and this question comes from Annie on Instagram, but she says that her mom's oncologist told her to avoid soy after her breast cancer diag diagnosis. Okay. <laughs> let's talk more about that. Knew this was going to come up. I was had like anticipated yeah. it the second you said it. So just to clarify, yeah. I am a breast imaging radiologist. I detect and diagnose breast cancer. Um, I am a women's health advocate. So this is such an important question for me, both as a, a female, as a physician, and then as a plant-based um, person. So uh, soy has phytoestrogens, which just means plant estrogens. And mm -hmm. uh, many, in, in fact, most breast cancers are estrogen and uh, progesterone receptor positive. So imagine, you know, a cell and they have little spikes, kind of like what we've all seen now with the COVID spike protein, right? We all know what mm -hmm. the 
So they have these little spikes and they need estrogen or progesterone to park there and then amplify their growth. And so the idea was you increase the estrogen in the bloodstream and in the body, you increase your risk for breast cancer. And that is true when it is estrogen. But plant estrogens or phytoestrogens actually compete with our body's own estrogen. And mm. so they can park in that spot and actually block our own estrogen from getting that parking spot and causing those changes. So phytoestrogens, plant-based estrogens that are found in soy are not only safe, but potentially protective. And there have been studies uh, shown, and I don't, uh, I don't have those at the tip of my fingers, but I could certainly provide it if it's you know, a link that you want to share later that show that soy could uh, help in increased survivability in breast cancer survivors. Wow. So, now we are talking about unprocessed soy. So, you know, we're not talking okay. about the, the fake meat soy thing yeah. in, the, in the freezer aisle. Those are certainly fun alternatives on occasion, uh, you know, but, but I'm talking about tofu, tempeh, edamame, uh, you know, miso, soy sauce, things like that. Um, mm. I'm not talking about any of the, the fake overly processed soys. Those are going to have their own health impacts um, and not have any of the benefits of soy. I see. So does that um, also apply to how, I guess there's another myth in regards to like soy impacting fertility. Is it the same type of deal as with breast cancer? So I'm not an REI, which is the kind of physician that deals with fertility, but I, uh, it is, I'm not aware of there being any impact on fertility um, whatsoever. Okay. Again, it is not the same as the estrogen in our bloodstream, uh, what okay. we call endogenous estrogen. And then it's not the same either as exogenous estrogen. So people who are taking estrogen either in the form of oral contraceptives or hormone replacement therapy, um, or for example, uh, you know, a trans woman who's on estrogen, those are mimicking. Uh, so those are what we call bioidentical um, hormones. They are mimicking our endogenous estrogen from an outside source. But, but soy is completely separate from that. Okay. Well, again, good to know. I think you are out here busting some myths today. I love it. On a, you know, Sunday morning here to... Yeah. <laughs> right. I love it so much. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so then aluminum doesn't cause breast cancer. Soy doesn't doesn't impact breast cancer. So then what types of like environment... It doesn't sorry. impact it, but it doesn't increase it. Okay, doesn't increase it. So it potentially protect us and increase survivability. Yes, so the complete opposite of what we were taught. <laughs> exactly. Um, so then, what other types of like environmental um, impacts can like impact your, you know, your breast and reproductive health? So, like, good question. And just to back it up, let's talk about what the. I mean, this is not a sustainability uh, topic, but um, our top yeah. two factors for the development of breast cancer are being female and aging, neither of which we can change. Even if we change our, um, you know, gender, um, if you have had estrogen in your body, uh, either at birth or at some point in your life, not, well, not at birth because we don't have estrogen at birth, but, you know, at some point in yeah, your life, gotcha. <laughs> you at some point in your life, you are placing your, you are at risk for the development of breast cancer. So cisgender women, transgender women, transgender men, um, if they did not um, uh, 
choose to do that before puberty. Um, and so, and then aging. And, and, you know, this is not like Botox related anti-aging. This is like, if you, are, <laughs> you are a human being and you are aging, you're at risk for um, the development of breast cancer. And then mm -hmm. other things like family history, genetic mutation, um, if you were uh, treated for like a lymphoma or a thyroid cancer and you have radiation and, it, you know, it hit your chest level, um, those are all things that, that place us at risk. Um, there are some uh, racial and ethnic risk factors, Ashkenazi Jewish uh, women and men and um, those in the black population um, can be at higher risk. So those are what we call the non-modifiable risk factors. You can't change them. Mm -hmm. The modifiable risk factors then are where we stop start talking about lifestyle and environment. So uh, the top two that we talk about that are things that we can control or at least try to are alcohol consumption and obesity. Mm. So, um, you know, not fat shaming here, um, totally body positive, but we know that our adipose tissue or normal fat cells do produce estrogen. And mm -hmm. so the more that we have, the more estrogen that we have circulating in our body. And that is in, an, in addition to whatever the normal hormone axis is producing. Uh, and so obesity is a risk factor for the development of breast cancer. Uh, now, you know, this is not related to like BMI. So for some people, they have like a lot of muscle mass. So, and when I say BMI, it's not related to like weight on a scale. This is actually related mm -hmm. to like amount of, of body fat. Um, and then alcohol consumption. So no amount of alcohol has been shown to be safe. Um, that said, everything in moderation, you know, I we made fresh pasta last night and had red wine. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, that's going to happen. I'm not, I'm not going to change that, but um, even one drink per day um, can place women at risk. So I don't drink during the week, uh, you know, and I like, those are the, the changes that I choose to make. Um, or sometimes I still don't even drink at social events. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, though, because I know the risks, uh, and it even outweighs, for example, the like red wine is good for your heart, right? So yeah, there are a lot of good things for our heart, exercise, not smoking, you know, uh -huh. <laughs> etc. So there are a lot of other good things that I do for my heart when I'm, when I'm having a glass of red wine, I'm not like, Ooh, here's, here's to my heart health. Right. So, yes. um, so, you know, if you want to have that while you're, you have that in your head while you're drinking it, that's fine. But I, overall, um, alcohol is a risk factor. Um, we talked about how aluminum is not, soy is not. Um, so it's another thing, uh, when I mentioned radiation, so women are concerned that the radiation from their mammogram might be causing their breast cancer or like mm. the radiation in the airport scanners, right? Like when you have to walk through that thing. Mm -hmm. And the truth is neither do. So, uh, we actually get a ton of background radiation, um, just by being exposed to the sun. And we get even more, for example, when we fly, um, you know, in an airplane, because we are that much closer to the sun. We have that much less of the atmosphere protecting us right. um, from the sun. And so actually the amount of radiation that we get from a mammogram is, is equivalent to the amount that we would get flying across the United States. So like a transport mm. flight. Um, and so that's something I think that's important to know um, that it does not it's not going to be the cause of a breast cancer. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. And then there are other, you know, things that are just not as well studied, like vitamin D uh, and links to basically everything at this point. Right. It can, it's good for this. It's good for that. You know, if you have normal levels and things like, um, and, and some other, some other vitamin levels that are just not well studied, but for the most part, when we are talking about breast cancer, we are talking about, um, hormone exposure. Right. Alcohol, um, does upregulate, um, estrogen production. Um, one thing that also is protective and, and again, plant-based diet goes back to plant-based diet mm-hmm. is, uh, fiber. So fiber can be, um, protective, um, and downregulate the estrogen production. And then, uh, again, on the diet front, um, not just breast cancer, but multiple kinds of cancer, um, the processed meats, like the bacons and bologna, mm-hmm. red meat, um, they have been linked to multiple ki- uh, solid tumors. So not just breast cancer. Mm. Um, and then, you know, there's no strong link between dairy and breast cancer. Um, there have been some studies looking at it. Uh, and there, again, there hasn't been a strong link. But so, yeah, so when it comes to diet, I just always encourage a healthy, balanced diet, you know, plant, plant predominant or plant-based if possible. Yeah. Um, totally avoid processed meats. Try to avoid processed foods. Um, mm-hmm. Limit your alcohol. Don't smoke. There's just no reason to. Right. Um, and yeah, and then you know, just just live a healthy lifestyle. 150 right. minutes of exercise per week, um, which also plays into sustainability. Walk, bike. Yeah. Don't drive. You know, take walk to mass transit, you know, do things that are, yes. uh, you know, you're getting a, a double, a, like two for one there. If you, if you're getting exercise and being sustainable for your, yes, to work. Exactly. Yes. I love all of that. Um, so, okay. So you talked about like the, you know, like habits that you can change to improve your, your breast health and, you know, health overall, but what about, um, I've seen a lot like parabens and sulfates and stuff can also impact like your reproductive health and can cause cancer. Is that true? Are you going to bust all the myths today? (laughs) Exactly. So I will say that um, the, when we are talking about skincare as an example, it is a Mm -hmm. little bit harder to talk about whether those chemicals can cause infertility and cancer because yeah. we have such slow levels that enter the bloodstream. Uh-huh. So can those chemicals cause cancer and, you know, impacts fertility if you were to directly ingest them? First of all, they would have a lot of impacts if you directly ingested them, but right. sort of speaking hypothetically, you know, in a bubble, um, yeah, the answer is yes. Um, but, but do we get that level of exposure and toxicity uh, when using things on our skin, which mm-hmm. even though it's the largest organ, it it's not necessarily what we are exposed to at the skin level is not necessarily going to get absorbed into the bloodstream and then cross into those cells to have those effects. So, um, so I guess the answer is not necessarily, you know, th- those levels haven't been shown. Do I use clean beauty products when possible? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, do I feel like I've been duped by the clean beauty market into believing things? Maybe, but yeah. um, it's again, it's such a 
I still use the, uh, you know, clean deodorants, natural deodorants, because they're in compostable packaging. I still mm-hmm. use a lot of clean beauty products because they're in reusable packaging, compostable packaging, no packaging at all. So, you know, I, I, that's just as important to me. We do know that plastics can impact our fertility, and we do know that plastics um, can have, you know, BPA. Um, and BPA is the only one that we've really well studied, right? There are actually multiple kinds of uh, uh, bis, bisphosphonol, bisphosphonol, BPA. There's BP, you know, BPB, et cetera. So there are a lot of different ones. Um, and we do know that they can have uh, cancer and fertility impact. So okay. the plastic packaging that those come in, the plastic packaging that food comes in, mm-hmm. it's, you know, even if um, potentially the chemicals wouldn't have an impact on my health, the plastic itself does. We know it does. Right. And if it doesn't have a direct impact on my health at that moment, it will go on to potentially have an impact if that plastic goes into the, you know, oceans and into the, uh, you know, enters our water systems. The microplastics in the blood is a concern. Yes. Um, Right. You know, we don't know what the health impacts are yet, but we know that particulate matter from the air has all these deleterious effects. The PM2 can cause multiple different kinds of cancer to include breast cancer, um, not cause so much as, you know, increased risk and um, allergies and lung disease. And so if you were to sort of extrapolate and think about how if particulate matter from the air can cause that, then microplastics are particulate matter. They could potentially have those same deleterious effects. So, yes. Okay. Yeah. That, I totally, you know, I'm, I'm following what you're saying and you bringing up the microplastics in the blood. That was one, that was a question that came from, um, one of our Instagram followers and she, I mean, she wanted to know if you had seen any effects of microplastics in the blood or if you know of any. So we only recently realized that there are microplastics in the blood. Right. There was that recent, you know, um, discovery that came out. So so mm-hmm. we don't know what the long-term effects are. They'll continue to study it. Um, yeah. We, we don't know what they are. I also want to circle back just for one moment for um, in regards to beauty products. So again, yeah. about how, you know, do parabens, do things like that, phthalates. And, and the answer is that I, I don't, we don't know because we don't see the levels, um, you know, that we, that we think might cause it. But what we do know is things like chemical hair straighteners and mm-hmm. Um, permanent dyes that are used, um, mm-hmm. particularly in the black community, the, the hair straighteners that are used can increase the risk of breast cancer. Um, okay. That is, you know, is proven. We do know that it is a link um, it, and it's, and it's a risk to a community that is already at increased risk. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know that uh, black women have higher rates of the BRCA gene mutation Mm-hmm. Not only a gene mutation that can be linked to breast cancer, but it is one that um, is known to cause breast and ovarian cancer, um, as well as you know colon melanoma, and it is seen at, in higher rates in the Ashkenazi Jewish population and in Black women. And so, if they're already at, already at higher risk for breast cancer and at higher risk for a genetic mutation, and then you know they're chemically straightening their hair. Um, and mm-hmm. we just know that we're putting an already vulnerable population at increased risk. So that that is something I can say with yes. within the beauty industry is it needs to change. 
Yes, 100%. I'm glad that there's been a shift, you know, within Black women to stop straightening their hair, you know, chemically, stop using the relaxers and stuff. So yeah, that's, you know, good to know. So if you're still doing it, maybe cut back. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, um, you know, in the sustainability industry, we talk a lot about like reducing waste and stuff. And I know that one big um, within the medical industry, you know, like with the gloves and all of the things that happen within a doctor's office can seem very wasteful. Yes. So is, do you think that there is any way to avoid or, you know, kind of reduce the waste within the medical industry? So that is a great question. And that is definitely something that a lot of physician leaders, uh, myself to be included, are, are working towards. So there's an organization called Healthcare Without Harm. It's just one mm -hmm. of many uh, that is taking sustainability very seriously. Um, I'm also part of a group, uh, Radiologists for a Sustainable Future. And, uh, you know, groups like this um, are, are wanting to work with industry leaders to see ways that we can reduce waste. So, for example, uh, you know, when I do a biopsy, of course, we want it to be sterile. We don't want to cause um, or introduce infection into the body. So, yes, it's like first you wear this pair of gloves, then you wear that pair of gloves, and then you use this drape and that drape, and then you open the biopsy thing. But, you know, everything is plastic wrapped. And yeah. sometimes you'll open up a biopsy kit and you don't even need several of the things that are in there. Mm -hmm. they, they just get thrown away. Um, and then there's no recycling for some of these things that are not even introduced to the body. There are no bodily fluids on them. They're, you know, if they were in a non-medical scenario, they would be recycled because they are fully plastic, but we're not recycling them because it's a medical facility and you just don't do that, right? Everything's either right. or hazard or trash. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of these things need to change. Why are they wrapped in plastic, you know, uh, packaged in plastic? you know, why aren't we recycling things that can be, and of course we know most things don't go on to be recycled anyway, but, um, and then, yeah, things that we're using that, you know, earlier in medicine were reused, were, were reusable. Mm -hmm. um, yes. You know, they used to use glass syringes. Is that practical? Not necessarily, right? Like uh -huh. we, we drop them and autoclaving takes time and we see way more patients than, you know, maybe people were in the past and, you know, glass, of course, comes with risks of breaking and things like that. But but you mm -hmm. just have to we just have to, I think, pause and think about, you know, do all of these things need to be plastic? Do all of these things need to be single use? Is there a way to continue to mitigate infection uh, exposure and risk while also being sustainable? So these are all conversations that, you know, we're trying to have in medicine now. Um, it is tough, uh, you know, with all the other regulations that we have to follow when it comes mm -hmm. to safety to also think about sustainability. But there are enough people in the, you know, in the field now that recognize that climate change, um, you know, it has huge health impacts, uh, right. both direct and indirect. So, you know, whether it's particulate matter, um, you know, causing allergies, lung disease and cancer or things like wildfires and hurricanes disrupting healthcare, mm -hmm. uh, delivering yeah. healthcare. Um, you know, when Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico, in addition to obviously devastating, you know, um, large uh, 
large portions of land and affecting people's lives and affecting their access to healthcare. It actually affected healthcare everywhere because there's a huge medical um, facility or plant that was creating all the saline bags. So saline, like basically salt water, um, something that we use across medicine for infusions, for hydration. And uh, it was affecting chemotherapy patients. It was affecting, you know, emergency medicine. It was affecting everybody um, Mm -hmm. because there was a shortage. Um, Right. And then you think, you know, right now about like the supply chain issues that we're having. Um, Climate change only exacerbates things like that um, when Mm -hmm. we have these natural disasters, et cetera. So there are both um, direct and indirect impacts of of, um, of climate change. Um, And it's not just also uh, like the particulate matter that I keep referring to, um, but of course, you know, sun exposure um, for skin cancer and melanoma um, and actually things like um, there are toxins. Uh, aflatoxin is a is a toxin that grows in hot climates and can increase um, the risk of liver cancer. Wow! And, and so you know there are a lot of things that we you know don't talk about that are very serious risks and, and impacts from climate change. So yes, wow. Yeah, those are things that I had never really considered before. But now that you talk about them, it's like, yeah, like the medical industry is like or can be greatly impacted by climate change, you know, and not just on our health, but just like how it operates. So, yeah, that's that's very interesting. <laughs> well, yeah. I would. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, it also creates so much carbon. Right. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there, there are. There are definitely things that we need to look into, not just mm-hmm. the delivery of healthcare. So not just the medications and the supplies that we're using and the, you know, uh, but also in how we're doing it. Like, do we need yeah. to be using this much energy to, you know, provide, you know, AC and heat and light and whatever? Are there ways to like, you know, sort of ramp down at night? Should we, you know, can we do this solar? Can we do that? You know, we have these huge right. hospitals have, for example, and, and I'm not saying that I, I know everything about hospital architecture and management, but yeah, helipads um, for helicopters to land on for, you know, when mm-hmm. you're transferring patients or accepting patients for, for trauma or, um, you know, burn victims, things like that. And could there just be, could there be solar panels up there? Could there be like renewable geothermal energy? You know, something right. I think that I think that we really, really need to aggressively, quite frankly, be thinking mm-hmm. of ways to decrease the carbon production. Yes. Because we're just, it's just a vicious cycle. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we definitely need to, um, you know, change infrastructure all around. But I think hospitals are definitely a great um, place to start or, you know, definitely look into. Right. So, yes. Well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to have you on the show, Dr. Malik. And um, let everyone know where they can find you online or, you know, everything that you want to tell people. <laughs> all, all of the things. Yes. All so, of the things. You can find me um, at Anjali Malik MD on Instagram, Twitter, uh, you know, TikTok, Clubhouse, which I don't use anymore, but um, LinkedIn. And then my website is AnjaliMalikMD.com. Awesome. 
please go follow her. She gives all the tips and all of the, you know, all of the information about breast health and radiology and just sustainable plant-based tips as well. Um, and our last question is, what does being a sustainable brown girl mean to you? Well, I, I think it just means caring about uh, myself and my planet, um, you know, just doing everything that I can to optimize my own health, to care for the planet and therefore care for the people around me. Um, mm -hmm. so that's why I am sustainable. Yes, I love it. Yay. Thank you so much for joining us and busting all of these myths. Like I'm going to have to have some meditation time and reassess my life after this conversation. So, <laughs> thank you so much it's been, yes, thank you. If you want to keep the conversation going, follow us at Sustainable Brown Girl on Instagram and Facebook. Check out the website at sustainablebrowngirl.com and send any questions, comments, or topic ideas to podcast at sustainablebrowngirl.com. Be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends about your favorite episode. Donate to Patreon if you can, and be sure to watch the full video interview on YouTube. Until next time, let's continue to make better choices for the health of our bodies and the planet. Thanks for listening.